the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. So what is it that finally brings an end to Satan, his rule and his reign in this world, and the evil that is so prevalent? We'll find out today as we continue our survey of Revelation next on Abounding Grace. ministry of Reformed Heritage Church right here in San Jose. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Welcome to the program. Today, we turn our attention again to Revelation chapter 19, a message that Pastor Gary is simply entitled, The All-Conquering Word. It's not tanks, it's not airplanes, it's not ships, it's not nuclear bombs, but the Word of God that is to be the final end of all things evil and wicked. That is real encouragement. Here's Pastor Gary with more on today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So here you have another allusion to the Lord Jesus Christ pointing out his absolute sovereignty over all men. Unless I reveal myself, you cannot know me or my Father. Then in verse 13, notice his clothing. And he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. Now, what is the reference there? Well, it's obvious to us here in this church because we love to sing the hymn, which we will next week. There is a fountain filled with blood. So turn with me to Isaiah 63, and you'll see what John, where John gets this imagery. Isaiah 63, beginning in verse 1. Isaiah 63, verse 1. Who is this who comes from Edom, which is the land of the enemy and is where the descendants of Esau lived? And remember, God hated Esau. With garments of glowing, that is, bright crimson colors from Bozrah, this one who is majestic in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? Now, don't forget that. I have trodden the wine through trough alone. And from the prophets, from the peoples, there was no man with me. I also trod them in my anger. I didn't think God ever got angry. I thought he loved everybody, right? And trampled them in my wrath. And their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments. And I stained all my remnant. So here you have a picture of a single person. Coming on the horizon out of the land of Edom. Which is the land of the enemy. And as you see this person getting closer to you. You find that all of his clothing is covered with bright blood. And it is because that 
is the blood of his defeated enemies. Single-handedly, he's gone into the land of Edom. He has defeated the enemy, and he is covered with their blood. And the way he describes it is like this, verse 3. I have trodden the wine trough alone, and from the peoples there was no man with me. I also trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. All right, let's go back to Revelation 19, remembering Isaiah 63, verse 13. Here you have the single warrior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to see in a minute that his army is not covered in this blood, just him. But the Lord Jesus Christ's robe is dripping with blood as he comes out of the land of the enemy, having destroyed them single-handedly. And his name here is called the Word of God. This is one of the names of Jesus in John 1, remember? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And that's quite a profound statement. In the beginning was the Word. That is one of the names of the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. And what is a word? What do you do with a word? What is the value of a word? By the means of a word, you reveal what is on your mind and in your heart. So here Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, is said to be the one by whom God reveals himself. In the beginning was the word, and the word was, and what it actually says there in Greek is, and the word was alongside of God, in the presence of God, in the fellowship with God. So here you have the two persons of the Trinity in fellowship with one another, but then you have the last sentence. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So here is a reference to that idea that Jesus Christ is most definitely the living Word of God. And that's why He's so powerful and so all-conquering. For he is the one through whom God expresses what is on his mind and on his heart. Now, what about those armies in verse 14? The armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following on white horses. White, 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 clean, 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 fine, fine linen, not a drop of blood on them. Because they didn't share in the battle, but they shared in the victory. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Word of God, won the battle against Satan and his enemies by himself, by his death and resurrection. And now we, says Paul, the armies of the Lord, march in the train of his triumph. Verse 15. And here comes the Messianic prophecies. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, 
so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads on the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Beloved, what a majestic picture we have here. Here you see this conqueror, and what is the weapon he has used to defeat his enemies? It is a sharp sword that comes out of his mouth, the word of God. What are the three weapons that God uses to destroy his enemies? Again, providence, by just wiping them off the face of the earth through judgment and by his word, which is empowered by the spirit. Those are divinely empowered weapons. So here you see the Lord Jesus Christ not only prophesying that he's going to defeat Rome and wipe it off the face of the map, so that all it is now, of course, is a bunch of magnificent ruins, but he is saying the philosophy that built Rome, the philosophies that undergird all ungodly civilizations of man at war with God, they shall all be destroyed by the word that comes out of his mouth. Now, I don't know about you, but that greatly encourages me to be as bold as I can in my witnessing and trying to answer those who are critical of the gospel. For it is by this word that God is giving to bring down all of the philosophies, all of the fortresses of man that have been built up in rebellion against God. Just little you and me. We don't have to have PhDs. And be great orators. It is the word of God that is divinely empowered weapon. A spiritually empowered weapon. So that when in you and I speak the word of God. And bear testimony to that word. And try to convince people of his revealed truths. And refute their views based upon revealed truth. The Lord Jesus Christ speaks through us. And it is his powerful sword that destroys the philosophies and the worldviews of our enemies. It says in Romans 10, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And how shall they call upon him when they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him when they have not heard? And how shall they hear him without a preacher? Do you remember what Jesus said in John 10? My sheep hear my voice. Now, where do people hear the voice of Christ today? He's not going to speak out from the skies. He's going to speak through the preacher, and he's going to speak through the faithful Christian that tries to live and bear testimony to the Word of God in his everyday life. Please get the picture here of this mighty conqueror with a sword coming out of his mouth. And every time you share the gospel or try to convince someone of biblical truth or refute someone, see in your mind the Lord Jesus Christ using that sword through you, cutting apart that person's worldview and his philosophy. It doesn't matter how many people hold to these various vain philosophies today. Someday it will be the sword that comes out of Christ's mouth that will be used by us and will refute and destroy every single one of them. And then it says he'll rule them. He won't only smite the nations, but he will rule them with a rod of iron. Now, most of you know that is an allusion to Psalm 2. 
Psalm 2 begins with the nations of the world conspiring against God to overthrow his moral order because it just cramps the style of these wicked nations. And God's response to them is laughter. And he says, as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. And then he says to his son, ask of me and I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. Does God ever make a promise and not fulfill it? You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like clay pots. And then he says this, and this is what we really need to listen to. Do homage to the Son, kings and judges of the earth, lest he become angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. But how blessed is everyone who takes refuge in him. Rome didn't take heed. You might say that Jesus said to the judges and the kings of Rome, worship God, kiss the sun, bow before my sovereignty, lest I become angry and you perish in the way. They didn't give heed. They did not pledge their allegiance to Christ, so they perished in his anger. And that is the message of God for us in the United States. Whether it is as a Democrat or a Republican or whatever it might be, take heed, O judges of the earth, worship the Lord, kiss the Son, pay homage to Christ, pledge your allegiance to Him, bow before Christ as the ultimate ruler of the nation, lest He become angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath may soon be kindled. But all those who take refuge in Him are blessed. That is God's message to us, my friends. You see, what we are concerned with is not simply to say, this republic, listen. We need God's law and God's ethical standard as the basis of the laws in the United States. Of course, we do want that because without the standard of God's law, all the laws that the state passes will amount to tyranny and will be destructive to the family, and to freedom, and to liberty, and to justice. So we do want God's law as the basis of our law system and politics and culture. But if that is all we want, we are no different than the Pharisees. That's all they wanted. We want not only that this nation subject itself to the law of God in a way it never has before, but our ultimate objective is to call upon this nation to become Christian, not just conservative, not just have a moral transformation, because you can't have a moral nation without Jesus. And that's our point. So understand we are not just for a moral transformation. We want this nation to kiss the Son, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And notice the last line there in verse 15. He treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. That's an idea taken right out of Isaiah 63 that we read before. That's why Jesus coming out of Edom was splattered with the blood of his enemies because single-handedly he tread the press of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. 
God's judgment came upon the Edomites. And it was Christ who brought it single-handedly. In Revelation, we read about the fall of Babylon. We read about those tormented by fire and brimstone in the presence of a whole, the holy angels and the Lamb. And the thing that you must realize, which you will not ever get in your public school history books, is that Jesus is the one who destroyed the Roman Empire. That's the whole point here. He tread the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, that Babylon was forced to drink. One of my favorite stories is about an emperor of Rome named Julian the Apostate. And that name really fits him to a T. Because he hated God. He hated morality. He was anti-Christian to the core. So he justly deserved the name Julian the Apostate. And he sought to destroy Christians throughout his life. He didn't believe their gospel. He hated it. But his last words were just before he went to hell. Thou hast conquered, O Galilean. He was self-consciously at war with Christ. And he knew Christ had won the war. And if the U.S. is to ever be destroyed, it will be Jesus who does it for our apostasy. Verse 16, and on his robe and on his thigh, a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, I hope you realize that's not just an empty little devotional title or something sweet to say about Jesus. That is a political statement. A king is a political personage. And Lord is a political office. Remember how the book of Revelation begins in chapter 1, verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. And then in Revelation 17, 14, he is called the king of kings there also. Over and over, the book of Revelation makes this political statement that he is the political power to whom all political powers and institutions are responsible and accountable or they will perish under his anger. Also, to say that he is king of kings and lord of lords is what the word kurios means, for lord. And all of the names that the Caesar chose for themselves, the one they loved the most was kurios, king of kings and lord of lords, before whom all other kings and lords must bow. So John is saying here, Caesar, you are dead wrong. There is a curios before whom you must bow or you suffer under his anger. And what does Romans 10.9 say? That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord or curios, that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, you will be saved. Well, this chapter ends the only way I think this chapter could end. With the great supper of God, which was a banquet of vultures. Now, the Apostle John seemed to love contrasts, apparently, because he talks about the city of Rome, the great city, and the city of God. He talks about the beautiful lady of the church, and he talks about this harlot of Babylon. 
And now he's going to contrast two suppers. The first supper that he has already talked about is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And now there is another supper he talks about. He says in verse 17, And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all of the birds of prey which fly in midheaven, Come assemble for the great supper of God, so that you eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves and small and great. The great all-conquering word has utterly ruined Rome and will utterly ruin all civilizations built upon the principle of revolt against him. Listen to this great quote by Rushduni. The banquet of the vultures is an old story in history. Man's wars to make the world safe for democracy end up by creating a funeral for peace and freedom. Man's attempts to create a just and peaceful social order result in this most flagrant social evils and social warfare and provide more carnage for vultures' feast. The result is that finally, the dream of Babylon is destroyed by their very attempts to realize it. And I hope you hear that, Governor Newsom and Ms. Pelosi and Mr. Schumer. All your plans will come back to destroy you. Then in verses 19 through 21, you see the total sum of the two great enemies of the church in the first century and of God's people throughout history. In the first century, it was apostate Judaism and anti-Christian Rome, the beast of the land and the beast of the sea. And we've, of course, already studied that. Notice what our text says. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him, Christ, who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his enemies. Those two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. And we're going to see that they were thrown into the lake of fire before the end of history, but this is going to have to come in a later book. Now, what is the significance of that? To say that the land beast and the sea beast, that is apostate religion and tyrannical governments, will be thrown into the lake of fire before the second coming of Christ. Are you seeing the implication here? They will be destroyed in history. Your descendants are going to see the end of apostate religions and tyrannical governments before the second coming of Christ. And the rest were killed with the word of God, which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. The very ideology upon which the ungodly build their civilizations that are war with God and his church is defeated by the all-conquering word. Amen. Let us pray. We thank you for your great word, O Lord. And we thank you for the privilege of knowing it 
and being witness bearers of it. May this passage encourage us to be bold and courageous in speaking your word. Because we know it is the sword of the spirit, which is your word, that Christ will use to overcome all of his enemies. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. (music) 